Hello and welcome back to Podcasting is Praxis. I'm David, my pronouns are he and him. I'm James, my pronouns are they and them. I'm Jamie, my pronouns are he and him. I'm Rob, mine are he and him. And I'm Alistair, my pronouns are also he and him. And uh, scary bad content, we kill it, uh, it's sinning. Yes, hi, I'm back. Pronouns are they and them. And yeah, it's it's not good content. I promise it's going to be no. awful. I deciphered what this was. Yeah, I know, I know what it is. Like it's... I, I, I deciphered what it was through like piecing together parts of screenshots that Rob was sending me to try and read the title and chapter names and stuff and then Googling it. And oh, is that... I'm not looking forward to this. Yeah, that's the only reason I figured it out. <laughs> Congratulations, by the way, sitting on the promotion to Full Day Them. Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. Was that your birthday present? Uh, it was a bit before my birthday, but yeah, sure. Got your pronouns in the mail. Yeah, <laughs> I finally got That's the. Uh, I finally got the signature at work with they them on it. Uh, celebrate. Yeah, that- nice. That, that's, how, that's how it works. I received mine the same way. So welcome, comrade. Mm. Uh, we meet under the docks at nine. <laughs> I was going to say male order gender there, but it's not. Um, let's just get started, Rob, because yeah, there's too much of this and I want to go to vibe worse. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever I heard got... a podcast firing on no cylinders? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, they uh, probably listen to the other one, Jamie, so... I mean... <laughs> How dare you, our work there is pristine. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I cut out so much stuff. <laughs> Does any Pure other gasoline. podcast have uh, have anecdotes about fucking insane Italian journalists doing fertility rituals? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's true. That did happen. Um <laughs> Oh, this is all just, you know, I can't believe you're just doing gross promos for a different podcast that is not yeah. related, you know. That's, well, that's exactly it. You should uh, you should subscribe to Peace at Home. That's <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah. Or you can uh, you can stay here and join us for this, uh, well, I'm fairly confident it's going to be a, a, a doubleheader. Uh, and that's because I don't, have... Re- don't, hmm? no. Don't don't do that. Don't do that. Actually, go and subscribe to Peace at Home. Cancel your podcasting as practice subscriptions. So <laughs> I can stop doing this. Release me from the curse. Do not do this. You are the only thing do keeping this. David down. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you, you're fucking not. If you stop paying, David is free. And quite frankly, do you want that on your conscience? Do you? <laughs> If you give David Balenciaga, he's free. That's not what's in my head. Right, Rob. Anyway, so I have received a while ago um, in the post a rare. Um, this is a rare review for, for this podcast because we are reviewing something that, formally speaking, isn't quite out yet. I have received a rare. Um, uh, what, what's it called again? Um, I have advanced copy. A review book. copy. Yeah, I have re- review. I have received a re- review copy of um, Fine Guardian columnist Raphael Bear's new book, uh, Politics: A Survivor's Guide: How to Stay Engaged Without Getting Enraged. Is so he the heart we'll... attack guy? Uh, yes, I was going to say yes. Guy. This is the guy who blamed his heart attack on Jeremy Corbyn. Oh, well, this is sure to be fucking useful, then, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, how to survive, <laughs> presumably, is have private health care when you have a heart attack. Say, like, 
600 pages of don't do what Donnie don't does. Yeah. Uh, he also wrote uh, uh, years ago now, but he also wrote an article called "And Another Thing: Shoes." Um, so you know, yeah. you they are another thing he's got with there. <laughs> yeah. There are things uh, just briefly from that. There are things not to like about shoes. For example, so few of them are foot shaped. But <laughs> <What>? <laughs> why would they be? I don't understand. Okay, no, I will not be taking questions at this time. <laughs> See, the thing is, if Adrian Childs wrote that article, it would be totally different. Yeah. It would be delightful like for Adrian one. Adrian Childs, that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. <laughs> is he wanting a pair of shoes, like one of those, you know those uh, big Hulk cans? Is he wanting like a pair of Hulk feet, essentially? Is that his ideal platonic shoe? No, he wants those Vibram five fingers, the one where like they have individual... I don't think it's platonic, um, he's probably going to fuck it. <laughs> no I doubt it because, like, it's this. This is an intensely asexual book that I've read. Like, there's no, there's no vigor or passion anywhere near or around it. Um, no large, but <laughs> I mean, large portions of this book essentially feel like I was eating like seven-year-old rice cakes or something. Like something extremely flavorless and just. You know, like just cardboard. I just felt like I was eating lots and lots of cardboard. Um, it's sort of part memoir, part polemic, um, and definitely part book from <laughs> <laughs> uh, And certainly towards the latter half, it slips into um, a defense of centrism, uh, sensible centrism, as the best way forward. Uh, <laughs> it is also among among these other things a wildly elongated whine about brexit uh how people are stupid and the bad people that caused brexit uh because everything was good essentially before breakfast uh <laughs> breakfast before <laughs> before brexit that's usually how i start how i start my day just bemoaning the fact that everything after breakfast is just a chore <laughs> this is true though <laughs> fundamentally that is true yeah um, <laughs> also uh, just as a, as a as a warning for you, the listener, nothing, and I do mean nothing, 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 nothing in this book has anything to do with material reality. Everything is just like about vibes and smart people and dumb people and propaganda and, and being online uh, and Twitter. So you know, it, it's it's uh, it's just a good time, really. Um, wow, he, it's like he, a, it's like a fucking bingo on our uh, podcast scorecard. <laughs> uh, he is also, if you read between the lines, uh, a, a fantastically like just a bad journalist. Um, it's he he does one example where he says, um, "Oh, I went to I, I I was invited by the Russian government uh, to go on like a press tour and see like the free and fair elections in Chechnya." Uh, so he went, and then after that, he oh, just no. went home because uh, he said, well, this isn't real. Nothing is real. I can't do anything here, so I'm going to quit my post in Russia and just go home to be a political columnist. <clears throat> to be fair, if someone invited me to go to Chechnya, there's some chance I would go home as well. I, I, I'm not convinced I could fully hold that against him. Yeah, but also you're not a brave, truth-seeking journalist, and, and you're That's just a true. broadcaster. That's true, yeah. Uh, yeah, he also, but like he also, uh, of course, manifestly absorbs himself and the entire journalist class of participating in a political process, having an influence on the political process, being anything to do with um, 
basically uh, with opinion forming whatsoever. This is from a footnote later in the book. Mostly, I don't think it's useful to depict newspapers as ma uh, as manufacturers of prejudice. They generally exist oh. to amplify trends. This is simply to caution against lazy left analysis that roots every defeat in media manipulation. Which trends? Which trends do we amplify? Who makes that existing? Just existing trends, James. Don't don't worry your pretty just, little just head about it. Pick them out of the ether. Just like oh, that's a trend. I'll put that in the paper. Yeah, they exist. Uh, they, I, I would, I would urge you to stop asking this question. They just exist. I um, gaze into the hypercube, and it tells me what is what is trending. Sadly, <laughs> the, the hypercube has also just been bought by Elon Musk. <laughs> we regret to inform you that the hypercube is racist. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, the like the 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 subtitle "How to Stay Engaged Without Getting Enraged" is like totally fucked because you don't learn I'm how sure. to do this, that. I'm I'm sorry, this coming from the fucking guy who literally had a heart attack over Corbin, like... Yes. <laughs> Why am I taking this dude's advice? He always killed himself over, uh, over a mild social democrat. No, you, you, no, first he said that it was Brexit that did him in. He only later changed the story and said it was Corbyn that did him in. I mean, well, Jeremy Corbyn, Corbyn caused, caused Brexit, caused Brexit, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, that's how it worked. Oh, I mean, damn. Yeah, if, of course. If the Leave campaign had had on the side of that bus, vote for Brexit and you'll give Raphael Bear a heart attack, the decision, <laughs> like, the ultimate decision might have been a bit more lopsided. <laughs> I just, I, I'm, I'm just picturing him. I'm picturing him like in front of the audience turning the big dial saying the cause of my heart attack while looking back at a crowd of journalists for assurance and affirmation. <laughs> just like, great, yes. Um very, very loosely, it is structures uh, uh, into like four parts. Uh, the first is exile. This is essentially the before time when things were good. Uh, that starts at about 1997. Uh, oh, there's also weird. some stuff mm, uh, about some, some stuff in there about his own family's, you know, relatively interesting journey uh, from Eastern Europe and South Africa into moving into the UK and stuff. Um, and it ends with, you know, just, just some discourse, just asking questions about nationalism, about how nationalism's bad and patriotism's good. Uh, but, but we'll get there. Um, <laughs> part two, by uh. the way, is called, uh, is called hypertension. Uh, why did things get bad? Why did we get Brexit? <laughs> things my doctor recommends, but I avoid these days. <laughs> uh, part three is revolution. Look, basically, it's like look what you voted for and because ways you were to avoid stupid. It. <laughs> it's essentially like look, look at what you did, you stupids. You you got you you know you got red mad and nude on Twitter, and then you voted for Brexit, and now my cosseted comfy world is bad. Um, and he also talks about his time as a lobby journalist, which is incredibly funny because, like I said, he is, from any practical angle, a very bad journalist. Um, and then part four is perspectives, i.e., in my heart of hearts, I know centrism is the true answer. And therefore, what are the answers that centrisms provide to the many, many crises facing the UK and indeed broad and Western society at this point? Um, oh, and boy, that's that how is going to be. That is going to be a riveting fucking chapter because it's going to say, and I, I know you've sort of outlined how this whole book is already going to go, Rob, but it's just going to be a whole load of nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, blank I pages, like right? Yeah, I feel like we've got no. the benefit of the book now. I feel, I feel like we've got it. I think we can call it a job done here, yeah? <laughs> no, we cannot. Do you have any idea how, how long it took me to read 380 pages of this like utter trash? Nobody, nobody asked you to do that. 
<laughs> yes, the listeners did. They know. You all know. <laughs> this is all your fault. Um, Who sent you the book anyway? I just want to talk. Uh, the <laughs> the introduction to the book is uh, actually let's let's I mean you know knowing the few things you do know um, about Raphael Bear what do you think the introduction is called what's the title of the introduction how Jeremy Corbyn fucked everything close more personal ah fuck call me an ambulance Jamie's almost got it is called how failure oh brilliant. <laughs> and speaking of ah fuck call me an ambulance uh that is indeed exactly where the story opens he, he it, essentially he goes out on the run and has a heart attack um let me quote i was suffering a massive heart attack but that's the sort of thing that only happens to other people besides we had, had old friends coming for dinner a fun evening it would be preposterous to have a heart attack now i'd already prepared oh. the salmon yeah this that, is that's awesome. how it works Pure stream centrist brain, like right there. That only happens to other people. Bad things don't happen to me. I am one of the chosen elect. I can't be having a heart attack right now. That would spoil the dinner party. Should have compromised with the heart attack, in my opinion. That's yeah. really what really the move. Yeah, you get the left ventricle, I get the rest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, essentially, there's some boring stuff about him going into hospital and, you know, having a heart attack, essentially. Um, but then in co he's in conversation with one of his nurses post-heart attack, and, and he's in a hospital. And essentially, she says, you know, basic stuff like, you know, get more exercise. Uh, and then uh, she says, oh, what do you do for a living? Journalism. What did I write about? Oh, was that stressful? Dot, dot, dot. So then we get into a subchapter called Attack of the Furies. And these are the things that, among others, uh, ended up giving Raphael Bear his heart attack. Uh, the first is... So, uh, can I just check the, the Furies? The Furies were those, like, you know, mythological figures that gave out the righteous punishment for sins, so... No, I'm the first well one's Nick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, among the things that ended up uh, contributing to or giving uh, Raphael Bear an actual heart attack, um, <laughs> sadly among them is not shoes, which I would have really liked, but uh, the first one is Brexit Derangement Syndrome, an affliction common among MPs who had seemed quite balanced, but who lost all sense of perspective, working themselves into hysterical who, lathers about leaving the who EU. Had seemed it's quite you. balanced. It's, it's, oh, he's described boy. himself. He's described yes. himself. Like, he's the one who whipped himself up into such hysteria. He claimed such hysteria that he had a heart attack because of it. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? You could, like, I. I can't, I can't fucking take the premise of this book from a person who had a heart attack, either over Brexit or Jeremy Corbyn or both. I genuinely can't take. We are, we are seventeen minutes into the recording on my end. I'm already fucking done with this shit. Like, Maybe the heart attack was caused by the salmon he prepared. <laughs> it's not impossible. Yeah, he's just essentially See living like about a his writing sketch. Say what you like about his writing, but it takes a real skill to get that level of IMAX projection into paper form. <laughs> uh, basically, for for uh, for poor old Raphael, there was just 
too much politics and uh, he had too much anger sloshing around in him uh, about Brexit. And he no couldn't have fucking any more surprise for the centrist. No fucking surprise that the centrist gets upset at democracy. Like, whether you like the outcome or not, that is just the, like, centrist ideology to a T. There is too much democracy. We have to get rid of it. <laughs> By the way, I would just say if there's too much politics, don't be a political journalist. Do something else. <laughs> Literally anything else. There are so many other jobs you can do. Well, maybe not okay, Rafa, in Raphael's best case. But none of them are possible. Like when you're completely useless. That, yeah. To, you know what I mean? Like fucking political journalist is the absolute bottom of the barrel in terms of skill needed to do a job. I think you'll find Jamie that it involves having lunch with Nigel Farage, and this was actually very personally difficult for Raphael Bear. Well, boo fucking who? Mm. <laughs> well, did Farage pay for it at least? I don't you know. No, the millionaire backer beside sitting beside Nigel Farage who'd organized the meeting paid for the dun for for the lunch. Don't worry about it. That's fine. That's completely fine. paid for a dunch though. Yeah. <laughs> he was, by the way, also one of the other reasons he was getting uh, a heart attack was that he felt politically homeless after having previously been a la Labour voter, but that broke under the epic of anti Semitism under Jeremy Corbyn. The there is there are no people who have had more political homes than people like Raphael Baer. That literally a political party was formed. He had the heart attack in December twenty nineteen, didn't he? So yes. like literally by this point there was a political party formed with the express intent of being for political journalists in the UK. It was called Change UK. In fact it had various names. And if he yeah. gave a shit about anti Semitism, he would have noticed that they did anti Semitism at their launch event two hours before Angela Smith called people of colour, uh, described them as a having funny a funny tinge. tinge. Yeah. yeah. So he would have noticed that if he actually gave a fuck. I mean, also, and also, anytime, like, anyone, anytime anyone anywhere mentions politically homeless, you can't see me because of the nature of the medium we're recording on. But I assure you, I am making a dismissive wanking gesture. <laughs> <laughs> and like, look, let's, let's just take a moment and deal with the anti-semitism thing up front because then it's just out of the way and then we can just get get on with the rest of the book um for for one for someone who spends like an entire book priding himself on being reasonable and being able to hold contradictory opinions in his own mind and picking out the best reasons as to why people do things and reading a lot of media he never ever once investigates any of this claim about the epidemic of anti-semitism he just says that's true um but he does say enough like vague enough wordings that he says it is true, but also in such a way that like if Corbyn were to hire a libel lawyer over this book, you couldn't catch him on anything because he's never specific. He just says, um, the, I the, mean, the, none, the of, none of these fucking none of these fucking grifters ever are like it's always no. allusions to uh, accusations of. It's uh, something um, about a mural once upon a time. A, ba a bad uh, vibe. And so on and it, so forth. Yeah, I just yeah. felt. I just. I, I just didn't like the way. Uh, the way Hamas he was. sympathizers so, also. Yeah. 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 I don't think. Um, I don't think they need to be that careful. I think if if anyone actually genuinely got sued over the uh, the like labour anti-Semitism thing, the government would quite happily rewrite the laws in order to like allow it. Yeah, fairly, fairly sure about that. Um, anyway, so like the main thing is, and I, again, we haven't really touched on this because I don't feel we as a podcast are like super well equipped to talk about it for like a host of reasons. But 
what I will say in his defense, and this is one of the rare reasons I'm going to do, uh, days I'm going to do this, I'm going to say, look, he may well have felt emotionally or reasoned into himself that there was a genuine threat coming from Labour, Labour and Corbyn as regards Jews living in the UK. I don't think there was, but maybe he felt that. But it's like, if you feel that way and you pride yourself on your reason and your your logic and your like your big brain chair that you're sitting in, why can you not investigate any of this and it is just stated as fact? Now, we know why he didn't do that, but that's where I'm going to leave it. It's like, if you pride yourself on that much reason, then... Do it properly and say these are the specific things. These are you know the, the the things that persuaded me, and then we can have a conversation. But that's of course uh, not yeah. in this. Yeah, but the, the short way the short way of saying this is a journalist would make a fully fleshed out and reasoned argument. Yes, yes. but also um, if he he knows if he fleshed it out, it would be communal newspapers in coordination with communal organisations worked to generate hysteria in my community. And that's why I thought this was the case, which yeah. <laughs> which may not de- fly, like and also which which like doesn't delegitimize his personal feelings. But if you're putting this kind of book out in the public domain, I do feel that like you have a higher duty to be better, and es- especially because l- later on okay, in the no book, no one's going to read it though. <laughs> yeah, well, one did. Um, uh, so- <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Ross. Were you, were you the more only? Were you the only review copy sent out? I I am assured I wasn't. Um, so <laughs> uh, the reason that you know that none of this makes any fucking sense is because Boris Johnson later on in another footnote gets like ample wiggle room for his shit. Basically, um, let me read that's, you the. Uh, that's Boris Johnson who wrote a book called Seventy Two Virgins, which yes. contained many allusions to Jewish people controlling the media. Yes. Um, this is from another footnote. His, Boris's, attitude to race is not straightforward. As mayor, he affected liberal stances, even endorsing in theory, but never implementing migrant amnesty. He then goes on to say he also wrote that, you know, the columns talking about picking in his smiles, uh, uh, women wearing the burqa being letterboxes, etc. Uh, but then he goes on to say, the only way to make sense of these contradictions is that Boris could, absent other pressures, be liberal-minded about many things. What were those pressures, Raphael? Yeah, what, 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 what were the wanna, pressures? Do you want to expand on those? Is, it, is this anything to do with the, the places that he was writing these things? Could that have some implications as to the wider scope that our media occupies no, basically basically what he's saying is that in the case of boris it's only boris's desire for self-advancement and seeking political glory that he turned that he turned towards racism and was fine with it but boris himself you know boris in a vacuum is, is po- possibly not racist because he said some nice things Again, this is the whole liberal thing of the quintessential essence of who you are is in no way, shape, or form connected to the terrible things you do. Like, it's, you know, the id of you, your very core being, is entirely separate from whatever you put out into the world. Yeah. So, yeah, checks out. That's fine. So what So what he's essentially seeking, and this is from, from the introduction again, uh, this is about uh, Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn. I imagine them colliding and cancelling each other out, two particles fired from opposing ends head-on, causing both candidates to be vaporised, a flash, a shockwave, and normal politics would be restored. 
I mean, in a way, politics. in a way, Boris Johnson was put on that pedestal by the media in because he was broadly yeah. seen as one of the few things in the Conservative Party that might actually be able to land a few hits on Corbyn, like politically, ever- di- like directly. Yeah, and everyone else, including at the Observer and the Guardian, went along with it. You know, seeing what kind of fucking scumbag Boris Johnson was, just decided, well, no, we prefer this actually. Um, but then, <laughs> brief. Uh, uh, it, oh yeah, also in his personal life, uh, uh, this is again about the the things that politics did to him. Uh, he was spending too much time on Twitter, which is bad. I mean, that's true. We all do know that. And mm-hmm. the more I cared about politics, the worse I was as a husband and father. I was short-tempered, prickly. I shouted at my children and zoned out of conversations. <laughs> He's Giles Corrin, essentially, who does the same thing. <laughs> wrote that. That's, that's from a Giles Corrin column. Um, so at the end of the introduction, he gives the central thesis, basically. Um, a healthy democracy needs people in the middle, not apathetic, nor activist, engaged, but not fully submerged. Oh, get absolutely fucked. I'm sorry, <laughs> like, what... <laughs> Why is it that uh, activists, people who actually care about things, are dismissed? Like, uh, because... journalists, who, journalists who merely amplify trends, they are acceptable, they are important facets of the society that we live in. But people who actually work towards achieving, like, change... They should be dismissed well, out of hand. Well, yes, Alistair, you've just kind of given it away. Like, under the political hegemony we live in, in this, you know, benighted isle, um, essentially, if you are one of the anointed, you're allowed to direct how everyone else is supposed to vote. You're not allowed to go about and try and shape that vote yourself. You're not allowed to do activism. You're just meant to, you know, be very polite, tug your forelock, and vote the way the papers tell you to. That's it. That's yeah, the whole thing. Vote, like, vote is a lot like cicadas in that they only emerge every four to five years to fill in an X yeah. next to conservative <laughs> and then disappear again. Yeah. D- dangerously close to an actual well-known quote about Britain there. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Alastair, like the, the Raphael Bear answer to this is like activists, activists aren't necessarily bad, but I, activists have ideology and ideology uh, is bad yeah. because it makes you stupid. Activists tell Raphael Bear to eat shit on Twitter, and that's why they're bad. Actually, also that yes, yes, um, like that's what that's what it really is, though. That's the thing. These like he admits himself, he spends too much time on Twitter. Basically, if you want to put 2015 to 2019 down to anything, it's that these people were being told to fuck off by people who might the then be in a in position, yeah. yeah, for the first time in their lives, who then, if someone had won an election and had been allowed to given enough sort of leeway to do what they wanted to do might have been in a position to do something about it which really would have pissed them off because <laughs> imagine um, imagine if Raphael Bear had to answer to like just pick any Corbinite journalist at the and if they, if they had to answer if he had to answer to them the Corbinite journalist the, the singular Corbinite journalist yeah just oh it's Michael <laughs> Walker it's all fucked oh shit <laughs> <laughs> Politics changes because of the currents within this group who care enough to follow the news, but also just to get on with life. That middle tier of reasonable civic engagement is the segment I fear is being depleted and demoralized by our state of permacrisis. Technocrats, he's describing technocrats. I hate him so much. Um, <laughs> like, let's, like, just completely eschewing the entirety of, like, 
working class history pretty much every good thing that has ever happened in this country is because people were striking or writing over the absolute horseshit they had to had to deal with and you know just look to france they or are like outraged the, at a thing that yeah. is being forced upon them and it might like whether or not it be successful ugh, well that's another discussion but it it's certainly got more of a chance than what would happen over the in this fucking country today so it took me a while to work out what like my thesis statement on this book is and it goes approximately as follows this book is the uk version the uk columnist version of the rally to restore sanity and it is about as entertaining <laughs> i think that's that's really the best way i have of, of putting this um anyway so let's get into some proper content part one uh, there's a bunch of stories about his his eastern european roots uh, he traces some of his roots back to uh the baltic states where he is as a uh junior reporter um he's there right after the soviets uh, pull out of the baltic states and there's you know the new democracy or end of the cold war all that all that jazz uh basically the soviets being defeated is very good but the baltic still considering their nazi collaborators as heroes is a little bad but it's not that bad because it's all part of you know a healthy pickup of uh, patriotism post soviets um I was happy for the Baltics that their politics was becoming more boring. Boring was good. Boring meant nationalist ferment subsiding. Has, this, has, he, has he ever never... been to the Baltics? <laughs> I'm sorry. I hate to I hate to be that person about it, but like, uh, you can't like walk ten feet in the Baltics without seeing an iron cross somewhere. Like, <laughs> yeah, what do you mean nationalism has has not been a thing there? Come on. Yeah, to this to this guy, like <laughs> the phrase banality of evil is just like get when you in, get like nah, a in, bad in his, bad dish in, from a fucking restaurant. In his defense, he does say like, you know, that the 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 Balt some of the Baltic states, you know, making heroes out of their quite literally uh fash um uh ancestors was <laughs> hey, genuinely a bad don't thing do that, that upset him. <laughs> Exactly, pretty much. So yeah. it's not that he doesn't notice. So you know, swings and roundabouts. Uh, hey, but then hey, he's noticed one thing. I mean, that's more than <laughs> G- Jimmy Pesto. So exactly. Um, so he talks a little bit about growing up. Um, his family moves over from South Africa. So he's like throughout this whole like section, he sort of says there's always a tension inside me between growing up in Britain and being British, but not but also being Jewish and being South African in descent, so never being quite at home. And that's, in the end, what leads to a whole discourse on patriotism versus nationalism. Uh, so, f- But before he gets to that, he sets out the way, um, he says, this is how democracy is supposed to work, what politics is, uh, and how, how it works. Um, and the way he does that, he says, he, in- he invents, Jesus fucking Christ, something he calls the inverse Clausewitz principle. Um, Clausewitz. What? Yeah, I thought you might enjoy this, James. So Clausewitz is a 19th century Prussian politician general. I can't remember which one he was. Um, and he he is one of the famous quotes saying, "Politics, uh, war is the continuation of politics through other means." Um, right. Raphael Baer, because it's the inverse Clausewitz principle, says democracy makes violence redundant as a means of settling political scores. Does it? Sorry. Shit? Fuck yes. off! Like, I just—it's like so. I genuinely right. I, 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 but you know, um, 
politics is the continuation of war by other means. You know, that's that's a pretty good principle, for example, because um, then you got you know class war, etc. But uh, no, like this motherfucker is just like, oh well, actually, it's really good when you just surrender all power to the state and no, just, you don't like, surrender you know, it. You're like you, 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 you all collectively buy into a system of sort of negotiated settlement between various interest groups and because i can vote people out later and then have a chance of getting my ideas back in i don't feel need to reach for armaments essentially that's the frame I, it's very fucking stupid i, I, I mean i i get the frame but the practical reality is just shut up and sit down so sure okay also love my it. my wishes for like the end of capitalism or you know an end to landlords or you know uh, 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 a clamp down on rents is never on the fucking ballot anywhere so what am I supposed to do in this wonderful democracy? Also, I would like to cancel Raphael there. It, I looked up Klausowitz, and it turns out he did spend a year in the service of the Russian Empire. He wasn't just a Prussian general, so cancelled. Uh -oh. Sorry. Uh -oh. Very cancelled. If he's worked can't, for can't believe, he's extremely cancelled. Can't believe he worked for Vladimir Putin from 1812 to 1813. <laughs> cannot believe he did that. Shocking. And I can't, can't believe Raphael Bear would, would endorse this kind of horrible imperialism it's it's absolutely out of character but i have to cancel him i hate to do it uh so therefore like by an extension of this inverse principle uh populism is bad uh because if angry people don't do liberal democracy properly um because they get mad with it because they it can be un unwieldy and inefficient and some people are always disappointed so populism yeah, who gets disappointed, violates this inverse who? principle uh because populists are basically because they're stupid they're okay with violence and exclusion I mean, here's the thing about, look, to be fair, he's basically presented the opposite thesis to one of the videos I'm going to do, which is populism is good, actually. Um, but one of, one of the things that usually has happened when populists start cropping up, like I would suppose he would call Jeremy Corbyn a populist, right? Oh, he, he roundly does. Okay, well, there you go. I haven't read the book. I don't know. He might have just talked about right-wing populists. But the problem is that He's sort of like, oh, they're not participating in liberal democracy properly. How are they meant to do that? Where's the option for some of these people? I don't, you know, like, like you were saying, like, where's the option for my rent to go down through government intervention? Where's, where's that? Where do I put the X in well, my, on my ballot if paper your ideas, for that? If your ideas were sensible, you would find them represented. Yeah, you're <laughs> stupid for wanting a better life, Sinan. Yeah. Yeah. Or, it is, yeah. Or to, yeah. I, I just want, like, a Caesarian-style political party that will uh, bring in, uh, just abolish private debt. I want that. I want, I want that political party. Hey, I'm, yeah, basically, I'm basically saying get Julius Caesar out of the grave and get him in charge of the UK. Let's do it. <laughs> Uh, however, he does admit that in, in all of this wonderful liberal democracy where not everybody always gets what they want and some people are disappointed, but it's not always the same people. Yeah, who are those um, people? Who are these people that get what they want every time? Remind oh, me. Don't, who, oh, who, Alistair, I don't mean, worry, oh, you're pretty little do we, head Do we want to go into specifics about this kind of thing? Um, however, no? okay. however, there is a catch. There will be points where decisions must be made for the long-term health of society that make a lot of people, perhaps even the majority, unhappy in the short term. In the short term. Yeah, would yeah, these, yeah, yeah. Uh, would these decisions have to do with, for example, raising interest rates or something like that? Would, the, it, would it maybe be along those kind of lines, perhaps? Or the, or the pension age or something. I'm just plucking examples mm. out of thin air. I don't know where, where my yeah. thoughts are coming from. Um, 
yeah, and also like uh, anyway, I won't belabor the points. Uh, de- democracies are grown up because they tolerate differences is not getting what you want. Whereas po- populist trade and bogus simplicity, blah blah blah. blah uh, candidates pr- pretend that they are the embodiment of the people's will, which is like that's not populist. Uh, well, you know, never mind. Um, there is also, by the way, an incredibly funny book uh, in terms of his own. Uh, um, political formation there's an incredibly funny bit later in the book where he admits that his first ever like encounter with politics as a young man was his dad taking him to see a speech by roy jenkins of this social of the sdp splitters group (laughs) (laughs) with origins like that how could you end up anywhere other than where you are (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, uh, presumably everyone has the same prion disease that was at that meeting now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so there's many many pages dedicated to like this really mealy mouth discussion on the difference between patriotism and nationalism which can be uh, boiled down to this the difference uh, between the two is conceptual and the different concepts are important patriotism is about feeling the qualities of a country identified by its culture and history nationalism is a political project that wants the state to define those qualities and wants the government to police their expression patriotism is a celebration nationalism is a mission you see that's you see the difference how though there's no no overlap yeah, between those two things it's, ever. It's, it's, patriotism it is really impressive watching someone try to just fucking limbo their way into describing what can with what has to be described by like material conditions without mentioning material conditions whatsoever he might as well have said patriotism is supporting the status quo nationalism is anything that challenges it to redefine the status quo like he might as well have just said that it would have saved him a lot of words but no okay sure I mean, there's there's also like a he, he does this is by the way this is the exact same split that the Labour Party on the Keith keeps trying to make that they say we are a patriotic party. Whereas, like, nationalism, bad, because populism. Patriotism, flag, good. It's It, it really is that fucking stupid. Um, then we get to uh, <laughs> a chapter called Finest Hours, uh, which I have subtitled as basically the last time my dick worked was in 1997. Um <laughs> <laughs> It was 1996 or 1997. The economy was on an upswing after a savage recession. London was buzzing with cultural optimism, creative energy and ecstasy at the weekend. In 1996, Newsweek ran Cool Britannia on its cover. I'm just thinking in my head all I've got is choose life, choose a big screen TV, (laughs) just like replaying straight through. (laughs) Businesses were expanding into new markets. The internet was new and exciting. In economics, the period has been described as the Great Moderation, a phase of exceptionally low volatility. Yeah, what happened after the end? At the end of the Great Moderation, um, I, I, I forget. Don't let's let's not think about any of the consequences of the uh, actions taken in that period of history. <laughs> and also, essentially, what he finds intolerable about Britain today can only be di- be diagnosed with reference to that glorious fan siècle. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, if we just recreate all of the economic conditions that precipitated the uh, events of 1997 to uh, sometime in about 2007, uh, then uh, everything will be hunky-dory again and we could just stop talking about Donald Trump, Jeremy Corbyn, Brexit, all these things that that definitely have no bearing in things that happened in that period of time. 
And then things get a little bit creepy. Uh, again, it's 1997 and it's the election of Tony Blair. Why does he get in? It's because the electorate was loosened by Tony Blair's compromises with conservative opinion and lubricated with his smile. Oh my god. I don't like that. Don't like that phrasing at all. <laughs> Not a fan um, of it. Usually you have to loosen people up and lubricate them before you fuck them in the arse. So yeah, okay. Fits. <laughs> uh, like also a 45 seven... minute warning for this section of the fucking podcast. <laughs> uh, he then s several times cites uh, uh, excerpts from Bridget Jones's diary as speaking for the nation on that day. Are you and fucking kidding? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this guy is a particular. Catherine Zeta Jones, like... you are the voice of a nation. <laughs> <laughs> on polling day, even the What's weather seemed. No, it was. Um... <laughs> What's her face? Renee Zellweger. Um, oh, <laughs> Catherine Zeta-Jones, you can get in there as well. Fuck it. <laughs> no, she was... What did she... Catherine Zeta ever do to you? A Scott Paul. Um... <laughs> I, notorious supporter of Scottish independence, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yes, okay. No, cool. I rewatched re re Entrapment the other day, that's why. Mm. On... Sorry, let me... Let me just, maybe we can, can we do some like happy music behind this? On polling day, even the weather seemed to agree that it was time for a change. The sun rose on one of those crisp spring days that cannot fail to light optimism in British hearts, trained by experience, never to expect comfort from the weather. Tony Blair's anthem was, things can only get better by Dee Reen. A restless anthem of disposable pop exuberance. Its power to move me was out of all proportion to its limited musical merits and has survived su subsequent political disappointments. Tony Blair made Labour feel like the default setting, a place to be politically neutral. Fucking oh, 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 no! <laughs> that one inflicted psychic damage, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, just uh, political neutrality by doing things like coming down extremely hard on people who are under the age of 18, women who didn't have a partner and had a child. Yeah, if you were any of these things, you were basically the scum of the earth. Oh, let's, let's not forget uh, the asylum seeker madness that uh, Tony Blair just yeah. dove headfirst into. Yeah, these also things are worked in collaboration neutral. with The Sun with on a two-week news cycle to get their new uh, uh, anti-migrant policy out the door. Yeah, invading like Iraq, politically neutral, actually. And also, uh, like in in response to the previous discourse about patriotism and flags and such, um, <laughs> the iconography of Cool Britannia seemed a cool respite from those tedious controversies. It was a it was not a replacement for conventional pomp, but a rock and roll rebrand. It was Britpop patriotism saluting the Union Jack as an as an emblem of younger metropolitan swagger. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah it's genuinely exhausting to listen to trash like it was one photo op in number 10 and everybody afterwards pretty much agree hated it and like george michael still had the best line that it was shit and it was just a political like slogan it was it was never a thing and these people have like it's this it's like 1997 the olympics opening ceremony is the only things these fucking people ever remember it's truly mind-breaking 
Um, but in the background and without liberals noticing, because they were too busy saluting the flag or something, um, the first like shimmerings of Brexit and a backlash against Europe was uh, breaking out. Um, and then essentially he says like, well, I mean, yeah, Tony, okay, things- I mean, fucking Tony Blair's government was like just as liable to blame, blame shit Brussels. on the yeah. EU. Yeah, exactly. All the on time. Things, like not being able to, yeah, like not being able to deport as many people as they fucking want to. Like, uh, like mm. if if you take an even vaguely holistic view of the things that actually happened in that period of history, rather than just the things that make give you a nice tingly feeling like fucking cool Britannia, then it turns out this political project that you are so effusive of actually is very, very shit and has seed- sown the seeds of the things you hate the most over the last decade. <laughs> So he does, after this, like, talk about how things get out of control, you know, the discussion about migrants, you know, he says there was, he he cites Enoch Powell, which, of course, comes before this, uh, the post-9-11 Muslim scares and into the Brexit period and, you know, current discourse about migration. But don't worry, Theresa May specifically gets a massive pass in the middle of all this for no good fucking reason. Uh, this is a, it, in reference to that speech that she did where she said you are either a citizen of nowhere or a citizen of somewhere. And clearly, you know, you were supposed to be a citizen of somewhere. Um, this is him. Yeah, better that than a rootless cosmopolitan. Uh, sorry, no, that's the wrong language, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, this, is, this is about uh, uh, May's speech. I flinched at the words about citizens of, no- of nowhere. They belong to a sinister ideological <laughs> hey, tradition. Hey, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> they belonged to a sinister ideological transition with strands on the extreme left and right. <laughs> but then, don't worry about it, May's advisors assured me that those unfortunate echoes were accidental, that the speech had not been a dog whistle summons to the nastiest subsections of the Brexit voting cohort. Well, anyway, don't, then, don't look at Nick Timothy's latest output. Um, yeah, this it's, dusts it's hands very... comically. It's all just, I am a very good special boy, and I loved it when mummy and daddy threw that big party, and, you know, I try not to pay attention. They tell me they love me and that they're not breaking up and everything's fine, and just, it's, it's all very, like, childlike wonder, just, you know, rolling through all of this and going, hey, you know, remember when things could only get better? That was so good, I loved that. I loved when things could only get better. Anyway, things got worse, and I didn't re-examine that in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Also, I didn't examine any of the economics that underpin any of this because, you know, it's not necessary. My life's pretty comfy. Yeah, it's, 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 it's more important to be able to say it's the economy, stupid, than to understand what that means. Yeah, and in terms of, like, talking about giving the Tories a massive pass... It is hard to argue that Tory Euroscepticism is an exclusively racist doctrine when its enactment as a policy has coincided with so, so much ethnic diversity at the top of British politics. <laughs> yeah, never, never, never mind people like Suella Braveman existing. It's just, uh, it's good to see lots of, lots of multiculturalism, at, specifically in this extremely tiny political elite. I really love it. When, this is the kind know, of guy that thinks the race card is real, but it's used to win games of Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pretty close. Like his argument is like. Pretty Patel and Suella Bravement has have just as much of a right to be like utter monsters as like old white men, and actually it is discrete left wing racism uh, to ask uh, why they don't have some allegiance to being not racist as you know being people of color themselves. See, you know, because we group people on the basis of their skin, whereas we should just allow people the freedom to 
you know, reopen concentration camps and abandoned army bases. That's actually. I mean, it's not wrong. They 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 do have as much right to be as big a set of monsters as old white people, and that is yes. they fucking don't. Yeah, and also that gives us the right to tell them they are fucking monsters. But you know, it doesn't work that way. That's actually our discreet left wing racism talking. So I, I wish to apologize to to our listeners for you know I mean, us subjecting you to this, Raphael. I'm I'm speaking to you directly now. If you have such a big problem with, like, with with racism in the Labour Party, maybe you should be asking questions like, why have they barred a bunch of black and other BAME uh, councillors from standing for re-election? Questions like this that you may want to consider once upon one time in your fucking life, rather than, oh, lots of brown faces in the Conservative Party, nothing wrong there. <laughs> no, but he's considered it, Alex, and he's come to the conclusion that they were, like, you know, bad. Uh, yeah, they, they were activists. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, not because of the color of their skin, but because of some uh, ineffable the ideology. Thing. I it's can't ideology. Quite thing Did... on. Oh yeah, yeah, ideology. Yeah, what, whatever the fuck that means, it's that. Well, well, yeah, as you know, there are two races: white and ideological. That's that's it. <laughs> the two races. Um, so at the end of this first section uh, about you know his upbringing and the nationalism, patriotism, where's all this racism coming from? Um, he does, and, and I'm glad to say this, he offers us the first of his many solutions to all of this, how we can come together as a nation and really get to grips with, you know, all this negativity that, that we've been reading so much about. Uh, is it we just start killing and th- until things start to improve? Uh, no, no. It's, ah, okay. um, it's, it, it's a nice try. Uh, it's, it's actually this. There is a way out of the cycle of mutually reinforcing exile. It involves all of us recognizing that none of us is getting our mythical old country back. There's a common ground in our mutual feeling of disorientation and loss. Whether that shared experience is foundation enough for a new national myth of reconciliation will depend on the narrative qualities of the politicians who want it to be true. There is a story there to be told and, I believe, an audience willing to hear it. There is uh, this none g- of us. None of us want an old country back. None of no. us on this pod want an old country back. Most of the left doesn't want an old country back. Like, I mean, to be but, fair, I did call for the explicit resurrection of Julius Caesar, so I want a old country back. But <laughs> yeah, just not an old I country. Will, I will not temporarily settle for the post-war consensus again. Yeah, as like a as like a baseline I'm, starting point. But you know, yeah, it's like a, an easing into like full communism. That that would be nice. I mean, to be fair to Julius Caesar, he did uh, stipulate that there was like a grain, uh, like a grain handout to all of the plebs. So that's a good starting point, to be fair. Okay. Grain doll, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. On the other hand, he did christen as Great Britain. So, you know, it's a man of contrast, essentially. Both good yeah. and bad. Yeah, he was the this. first Roman to do an expedition to Britain, came back and said, yeah, they're fucked. And they didn't listen Caesar, to him. My, my people call, cry out for freedom. <laughs> <laughs> But I just love this so much. It's like, look, the thing we need to do is just like we need to get a good politician with a good bedtime story and then they'll just tell it and then everything will be fine because we just need we just need like a new fairy tale. And it's like, yes, narratives matter. Yes, stories matter. They they do. They you know, you need to feel something. It's really basic political communication but it's like you also need to improve people's lives so they stop looking for a reason to you know be so fucking furious all the time because they're not furious because of ideology they're furious because quite literally their lives are turning to shit 
Yeah, stories and ideologies only matter insofar as they compel people to change how they interact with other human beings. Like, you know, the stories he wants are all stories to get people to just quiet down and shut the fuck up. Not stories that will actually get them to, like, change things for the better in any appreciable way, even being nice to their fellow human beings. It's just not going to happen. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna start going into this is part two of the book. We'll do I think in terms of timing we'll do part two now on the free one and then we'll do the second half uh, on the Patreon. So you can start paying at that point. Um, anyway, so this is hyper. This part two is called hypertension, and it's about saying we lived in this wonderful world of cool Britannia, and you know in the pre-racism era and everything was essentially pretty good there were some rumblings about brexit but you know we were all living the happy life and taking ecstasy and all everything's good in hypertension things start going bad um and a, more than a little bit has of that has to do with russia which has been bad for oh a really, for really fuck's long sake i'm really loving this latest release by adam curtis it sounds can't, fantastic oh, let's go can't believe Klausowitz has struck again with the russians <laughs> astonished yeah, but what is inverse class where it's up to, I ask? Um, Maybe uh, he's in anyway. a bunker with Lenin and uh, Hitler. He's <laughs> the guy no. who introduced Hitler to <laughs> Lenin. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I only know that scene, by the way, from that. That's film. the only scene you need to know about, to be honest with you. Yep. <laughs> no, you, need, you also need to know that like uh, Hitler killed the Romanovs. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, that. Mm. that was the other pivotal moment. Um, anyway, this is speaking of the Romanovs. The opening and one of only of two him... good times Hitler had a gun. Um <laughs> 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 uh, this is him. Uh, he he um, he's done in the Baltics, and he moves to Russia to be the foreign correspondent for I don't give a shit uh, some paper. Um, this is it. and he tells a story um, about life in Russia under Yeltsin and things aren't going very well. And essentially he goes to some fucking town where he encounters some low-level thugs who tell him that he needs to leave town or else, basically. They say, we're going to fuck you up if you're, if you're not like on the next train out of here. And from that encounter and another one with a low-level thug on a train somewhere, uh, he simply concludes... It didn't take many encounters of that kind to understand why democracy had not caught on in Russia. The experiment fizzled on the Yeltsin, and then Putin took over the laboratory. Done and who, done. Like, okay, so there's a couple of things there. One, who created the conditions for gangsters to be running most of Russia? Interesting question. Don't know. Don't know if the shock therapy they imposed on the country had anything to do with that. The second thing is, there's like, oh, Putin took over. Putin took over. America interfered in a Russian election to prevent the Communist Party from winning. And also that led to, to Putin Yeltsin into his seat in the yes, first place. And got like, re-elected. So, all in all, I'm saying it's very funny. If Putin did intervene in the American election to get Trump elected, I'm, I'm not saying it's good, but I am saying it's very funny. Huh, I wonder what, what happens happened. if I Google the words Vladimir Putin and Tony Blair. Oh, I wonder. Yeah. Oh, these I are some interesting I, images that have turned up. I, I do just, I do just want to say that the Communist Party of the Russian Federation are generally not great. No, but also, but also, it is interesting when the intervention happened and for what reason. So, but I'm glad you mentioned them. Um... Sinan, uh, apparently uh, the government is now a union between gangsters and communists to steal the wealth-generating oh. engines of Russia. 
Well, what communists? What they're not in government. They they have twelve MPs in the Duma. Like, please, like, what are they doing? And if you're if you're wondering by now, because you know UK society isn't doing very well, um, uh, you know, why is the UK not Russia? That's a good question to ask. The answer radiates out from a single word: trust. Oh my God. <laughs> This has just reminded me um, of the fact that the communist, one of the communist parties in Russia, their policy at the last Russian election was to build go-kart arenas around in every town. <laughs> and that is a way to rebuild trust in politics. Why is there no British party suggesting this? Apparently it was a way to deal with road rage or something. I'm like, I kind of <laughs> like that a lot. As yeah, like why, as... why can't I like defeat uh, Mike Gapes in the open marketplace of, of, of kart racing? Like, that would be great. I, I mean, that would um, never work here because it would just cause youths to congregate. That's true, yeah. shit, yeah. Um, also, I'm, ca I'm calling Mike Gapes out. I challenge him to a one-on-one -on -one Formula One race, <laughs> a track of his choosing. <laughs> I also note that I cannot drive a normal car, so... Oh, what's that I see? It's it's Racer Coe's driving into the side of his car. Yeah, <laughs> failing to turn the ignition. Uh, essentially, the, there's, there's a whole bunch of pages that I'm skipping where he tries to answer the question of what happened to trust. And there's, some, there's a compare and contrast thing uh, going on. So in Russia, uh, this is a quote again, in Russia, the absence of trust meant that the machinery of democracy was installed on soggy foundation. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. That's and if you're wondering, well, why why was the foundation so soggy? And that's because so socialism had taught the Russian people not to trust the government. So there was no trust to begin with. So then they did a democracy. <laughs> well, yeah, because oh, the government yeah. was doing stuff and people didn't like some of that stuff. Yeah, the reason so, it was bad is because no one was making a profit on that uh, in installation of mistrust. But uh, here you can do it for profit. So, like, that's fine. I wonder which had more effect on, like, the relationship between Russian people and their government. Was it the Soviet Union, or was it the way national services were carved up, privatised, their shares kept artificially depressed in price, and then roving gangs of criminals basically bought up people's shares at pennies on the, you know, uh, ruble, and then went ahead and uh, jacked the price up afterwards, allowing it to actually reach its full value and consolidating the state's asset into the hands of oligarchs? I wonder which it was. I, I couldn't possibly say. It's the no, socialism. It was, yeah. it was the yeah. socialism. It was the government doing stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, and in, 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 by contrast, in Britain, the, the ground uh, is not so soggy. It's much stronger uh, because of our long tradition of democracies. Uh, uh, I can't wait to do that video that I'm going to do well, about abolishing the monarchy. If you, want to, if you want to soggy up the foundations with socialism, I know exactly a location which you can do that. And good news, it's unisex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and this is why trust is so important. Um, endemic mistrust hollows out politics until every statement is presumed to be a cynical deception. There's always some theatre in politics, but democracy should never be seen as pure artifice with real power out of sight in the wings. Say, what's the last time when we tried for once to claw back some of the the real power, the commanding heights of the economy, as, you know, somebody might call it. What happened when we tried? I'm really confused. 
what happened? No, I can't, can't work. Can't work it out. Um, and basically, so like, trust is really good because in a in a good in a liberal democracy, you should like essentially you as the citizen or you Raphael Baer specifically uh, should be able to just like trust politics and not give too much of a fuck. This is like truly incredible. The only reason this guy even vaguely begins to to recognize the l- huge lack of trust that people have in like the political system here is because of fucking Brexit. Never mind all of the things that various governments have done to literally everybody else that fall lower on the social strata than this prick does. Well, I mean, of course not, because he's comfy, so everybody else must be as well. That's the, uh, you know, that's that's the columnist's way, essentially. Um, this is This is a truly incredible passage, by the way. In a healthy democracy, tuning out from politics needn't imply contempt or disillusionment. It can be an act of trust. It defers judgment to people who care more, outsourcing engagement to activists and obsessives. The unspoken assumption is that the engaged minority broadly represents the whole of society and won't wreck everything for the silent majority. I don't. He doesn't say silent, but I do. Uh, to be an episodic Democrat is to have faith in the civic culture of the nation. Yeah, but so- like, who who took a sledgehammer to the civic culture of the nation? It wasn't, it wasn't, oh, God, fuck, I fucking it, hate it. It was it's activists right. and their ideology, Senan. Well, like, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you asked this question, uh, Senan, because I have the answer for you. Uh, and as does Raphael Baer, because the next chapter is called Fracking Democracy. Oh, beautiful. Oh, my God. Uh, basically, this is about Not the house. strongest arc in Battlestar Star Galactica, but... Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is basically uh, um, about how a series of small cliques involving Jeremy Corbyn and Brexiteers and others, you know, ideologues, basically, and Russia um, exploited the cracks in our fertile democratic soil, uh, pumped in partisan arguments, polemics and emotive imagery, as well as fake news. Uh, and by that doing is such so- a fucking stupid analogy. The yeah. cracks in our fertile soil. Excuse me? <laughs> Uh, oh, it gets even dumber. Uh, by doing this, um, uh, they, we, the, the populists and the ideologues and Russia released vents of very negative but combustible energy, which some domestic politicians like because they can use this energy for their own nefarious now. purposes. What, what is going on here? Come on, the, the, the fertile baked clay bed of British democracy <laughs> with its cracks venting pure methane into the atmosphere sounds about right to be Does honest. this get anything to do with filtering out Hitler particles or something? I'm really confused by the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what you basically do is like you get a very healthy piece of, of of British soil, and then you take Quadrilla, which is Russia, and then you 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 pump in images and Facebook posts, and then out of the soil explodes the energy of ideology and Brexit, and people is getting he, ragged. Does he actually? Does he actually use this analogy? Yeah. Uruk, whole... high social, uh, Uruk higher social status than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's it's literally called, the chapter is literally called Fracking Democracy. Um, oh my God. So he, he's, literally, he's literally saying that Russia is fracking us by pumping in, like, I don't know, a fucking shareable meme that says, hey, Jeremy Corbyn's good, vote for him. Oh shit, like, sorry. Is this the sort of, 
I, 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 I let me get, let me let me let me uh, let Raphael Bear explain it. Russia, Russian troll bots so Discord because polarized societies are harder to govern and therefore truly you know, Russian bots is like the clarion call of people are people are mad at me on the internet and it upsets me and I can't rationalize this any other way. It is so fucking incredible that someone who supposedly prides themselves on their ability to like work things out and based on the evidence and it turns out actually people just hate fucking condescending centrist pricks it's a very simple line to draw in britain the most fruitful targets have been constitutional questions that resist management through representative democracy brexit and the scottish independence referendum why Ah, else of course why (laughs) else would alex salmon be given his own talk show on russia today question mark because he's a loud who loves attention. Yeah, like, and... Like, like, you know, multiple things can be true at once. It could be that, yes, keeping your enemies busy having internal arguments is kind of useful if you want to, like, get on in the world, right? If they're busy arguing among themselves, then they're less likely to get in your way. But it can also be true that the trick to doing this is to take arguments they're already having... And just, like, you know, hand them a microphone. Like, it doesn't have to be ginned up wholesale. Like, you know, it's like, um, like, the whole idea with, with Alex Salmond, it's like, yeah, people were talking about Scottish independence. Russia Today, today gave them a talk show. They gave him a talk show because, yes, it helps, like, make that debate louder and have a bigger discussion. That doesn't mean they invented the cause of Scottish independence. It doesn't mean they invented Alex Salmond, unfortunately. Yeah. The- like, just, yeah. Why the cause of Scottish independence about? was probably invented in like the 13th century at this point. So, <laughs> and again, could have been Russia. We don't know. It, it, it was invented exactly one second after the Declaration of Abroof was signed. Like you know, <laughs> wait till this guy hears about. <laughs> no, that's enough. Right. No, no, we're closing this fucking door. Wait till this guy hears about a little American agency called the CIA and the shit that they get up to. Holy fuck. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, sorry, give me one second. Um, uh, I do uh, want to say the CIA did one very cool thing, which was attempt to make Sukarno uh, uh, look bald and like he was having affairs, when everyone knew he was doing both of those things. So good job, CIA. Oh, yeah, the very CIA getting very mad that Castro kept seducing all of the assassins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so basically, because of the the fracking of, um, and he doesn't, it's not mono, right? He doesn't just blame Russia. He says, you know, other people did the same, you know, dorm commies, folk leave, all that jazz, you know, like bad people um, did that stuff, basically. Uh, so because of all of this, uh, and, and I hate to, to tell you about this, the UK has become a polarized society. Um and what that means and is people. When oh, it means it means that uh, they are vaguely aware that there are various interests that are at loggerheads with each other. But until this very moment, they haven't realised it because they are in the very comfortable top end of that particular conflict. Now it's actually it's actually worse uh, because like more people because they've been radicalized by ideology they have like a defined moral sense of what politics like ought to be and what it should be for and these are what he called sacred views which cannot be transgressed and if you do then like you will not respond with logic and reason but with your uh, angry yeah, the, angry the, the, heart the woke mob yeah yeah the woke mob yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. it's like oh, we are about to get like, into the woke mob you might say that human rights are sacred, but what you need to realize is that this is a stupid view, and actually it's very pragmatic that we, I don't know, 
torch the poor or like ship people to Rwanda or tear up trans rights. Like, you know, that's that's what he's arguing about. Surely. Go on, Rob. Tell us. Tell about, me I'm wrong. He, he, he uh, um, explains it a little bit. Some, some might fuck Labour because they prefer the party on balance, the look of its leader or some particular policy. That is a loose allegiance. Someone wearing a never-kissed Tory t-shirt isn't that. To them, being Labour is sacred. You see the difference? Fundamental <laughs> misunderstanding of what it means to <laughs> wear that shirt. <laughs> yeah. You might be a bit surprised by how that plays out. <laughs> And it also, it gets worse. Uh, that's because social media has a way of intensifying views into this zone where dissent is perceived as an existential threat. Social media sac- sacralizes all of politics. It's so, he's just so upset about the people calling him a fucking prick on Twitter. It's, it's great. <laughs> Real, I'm doing my part hours. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and basically, like on top of everything else, and this didn't help with the fracking of democracy, uh, we invented social media, but we didn't really understand its power. And then we wired our troglodyte clicking brains up to democracy, and democracy is essentially can't handle that kind, kind of jazz. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and the worst result, the worst of all of this, is um, sometimes now um, people yell in the street at Michael Gove or Keith. And they call him a clean shirt to his face. And that just shows that th- that politics is out of control. If somebody yeah, tells no the worst no part one... of all this is that this cunt wrote this fucking book. Yeah, because <laughs> no, no one in Britain has ever yelled at a politician before. Like, no. that's never happened. Uh, let's who, remind me again who, who, what MPs it were that were, uh, that was killed after, uh, during a certain referendum. Hmm. No, don't worry. No, yeah, no, no, uh, not no, going to interrogate that at all. No. Oh, he does later trend, on in the book talk about. Uh, no, he does talk about the assassinations of um, uh, Joe Cox and, and stuff. But not in a like, no, not not really in a serious way. If I'm fairly honest with you. Um, so uh, basically, no. social social media uh, has turbocharged. Let me try that again. Social media has turbocharged our separation from represented democracy as it ought to work. Um, And the most lethal side effect of this fracked democracy is the entrenchment of them and us politics, where the system can only function on... uh, No, where the system (laughs) can only function on the understanding that they are us. No. (laughs) No, yeah, you lost it there. What, what, right, make your fucking mind up. Are human rights, like, fucking sacred and infallible? Or uh, actually are... Uh, oh, fuck off. I can't deal with this cunt. This fucking double thing. I think what he's trying to say is that the tap water of democracy is, like, a light with the fire of people or some shit. <laughs> Uruk high in his own farts. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like he's saying he's basically saying, look, the sham of democracy only works if you as if you identify with your representative and consider them like one of you and a good like representative of you, and if you believe in the myth of mobility, etc., etc. As soon as you start to go, hang on, this game's rigged. Suddenly, you won't play anymore, and we can't have that. No, because then you suffer from democracy is the games. continuation of kayfabe by other means. <laughs> yeah, democracy was great until these fucking voters turned up. <laughs> <laughs> 
David, is that what you'd call the inverse McMahon principle, or uh, or are we ready for your book? <laughs> no, the inverse inverse Sarah Man principle. <laughs> So basically, now that our democracies have been fracked by Russia and ideology and all that stuff, and social media, of course, uh, we have become off balance. Um, and that's basically a problem for the ideal subject of a representative democracy, uh, which, if you're curious, those are the people who can hold opposing views in their head and acknowledge the partial merits in nearly every position. So they're sort of like, there's you the stupid ideologue, and then there's the superior brain chair people, like Raphael Baer, who can observe all realities and say, you are right there, but you are right there. And have you thought about a synthesis of some variety? He, he can do that. Not everybody can, <laughs> but he can. Yeah, he, yeah, he like, can view all worlds except for the ones in which uh, we inhabit where economic conditions cause us to careen from crisis to crisis, like on no, an almost think, decadely I've... basis. I think what you're saying is like, well, the socialists, the socialists are looking for British jobs for British workers. Uh, and meanwhile, the fascists are making the trains run on time. So maybe some kind of synthesis of these two will lead us to a, a you know, a, pol a politics we can get. No, 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 right. neither of those, because then, then you have ideology again, James. Oh, right. I've yes, warned you about having ideology. Raphael's warned you time and time again not to have ideologies. It's bad. My only thought this here is, is that the uh, synthesis of uh, those two things is driving trains into British workers. <laughs> <laughs> this um, feels like I'm in the re-education camp and like Rob is taking us through like a presentation to de-radicalise us. <laughs> yeah, sentenced to hard labour at the centrist work camp. And, and social media has made it much harder to be like the perfect brain chair guy uh, and, and even harder to be a, a journalist. Uh, that's because pylons happen now, uh, and that's bad because... <laughs> I hate hell. when people can hold me to account for my own words. Yeah. Like, look, before, don't... Before the invention of social media, nobody told him he was a thundering fucking dunce on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> look, and all now I'd they say do, is... And that can only be yeah. the fault of the misterons or some shit. I all, all, all I'd say is, as someone who has had to read lots and lots of different things about this exact issue... Uh, just don't post on a public forum. Just yeah. shut the fuck up. You, it's you, that you, simple. I know. I was thinking back about uh, to our latest episode with uh, with Mick. It's like you could just not have a have a Twitter account. It's perfectly possible. You can be a journalist and not have one. It's it's fine. Yeah. It's even easier when you're a fucking columnist to not have one. <laughs> what yeah, to do is right. Pay ten bucks. Go to the UK mega thread and something awful. Just post there. <laughs> yeah. Less people will shout at you, I promise. <laughs> I thought you were going to say go to the UK Margaret, which is a thing from the stream that's been melting <laughs> my brain for ages. <laughs> I just can't get it out of my brain. And it's, it's essentially by the YouTube zone. Uh, pylons are incredibly bad, and that, especially for journalists and brain chair people. Uh, that's because every moment of hesitation, wondering whether or not it's really worth the hassle of being you know piled on is a step towards self-censorship digital vigilantism works by raising the cost to journalists and institutions of expressing certain views yeah bullying works yes <laughs> depending how long held um, you know what i mean thank you for the support pylons are bad okay did a zergling write this <laughs> <laughs> So then we get a very specific example of um, of 
censorship and and too much liberalism and too much posting and too much anxiety now what um what do you think he picks as a as an example of when things get too vicious online and you know in person what's what what what, what would be Did a bad call thing? him Baphael rare <laughs> did, did someone did someone quote treat him with the words this you <laughs> uh no i'm afraid not it's it's a bit more uh, uh well pedestrian i think is is at this point oh i was because i was gonna say someone did posted someone, shoes at him well i was i was gonna say whether someone brendoned him but uh, <laughs> i'm sure now uh, so as an example of whether or not we are truly free to express ourselves and, and be ourselves online and in person, uh, he, of course, brings up J.K. Rowling and trans issues. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my uh, fucking God. Freedom uh, of speech does not mean freedom of, from consequence. Jesus fucking Christ. That's another person who needs to shut the fuck up, <laughs> J.K. Rowling. Now, mm-hmm. the problem is, like, look, uh, the the problem is, is, is of course, both sides because they have too much ideology. Um the people arguing just don't see that common ground. Let me quote. The, there is the, no common yes, fucking yeah, ground, you yeah, thundering yes. cunt. Yes, there's the no common, common ground, ground between... The, people on both sides would quite like Raphael Bear to eat their fucking ring piece. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't have common ground between one group that says, we think you should be eliminated, and another group that says, we do not want to be eliminated. There is no you know, fucking I, middle ground there. I, I think the Communist Party of Germany was very unreasonable in not seeking common ground with the National Socialist Work- German Workers' Party. Don't look into who that is. Look, I Sinan, just, they have know. the word socialist right there in the title. Oh, God, yeah. Fuck, I me should have said that. Me for my next <laughs> column. You know, I'm ghostwriting Christopher Hitchens these days. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, Let- Raphael Bear's next fucking article. Why I'm voting for Zentrum. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't mind how Zentrum voted in the, uh, in the yeah, Enabling blah, Act. It's blah, all part blah. of the long game. <laughs> anyway. It's all part of the long game to ensure centrism is supreme. I mean, if it's you... If you um, <laughs> The debates get so vicious because both sides derive uh, derive their claim to moral authority from the liberal tradition of protecting vulnerable groups. They are competing for the same high ground, but from different angles. Both sides can be right. The political task should be to calmly refine arguments until the precise points of disagreement reveal themselves, then consider how to bridge the gaps as they appear in policies. One such there area is, is no this, gap this is, that can be bridged. The only this high ground, the, fucking... I, the only high ground I want to claim is the grassy fucking knoll. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the dojo of ideas and debate, but like the dojo was fucking designed by MC Eschel. <laughs> One such area is sport, as being born male gives you more muscular structure, and therefore oh, the competition boy. will be unfair. Biotrudes, let's go. Another yeah, one yes. is physical vulnerability in single spa- single sex spaces, especially prisons and women's shelters. So, oh, I, you know, we can just we there's a lot of common ground to be found there. I assume. I haven't looked into this. I'm I, I I'm I've just hit myself with a big hammer again. Um, however, can, can I is, can I have a go with the hammer? Yeah. <laughs> Former orderly Q. <laughs> Um, however, this is the fortunate thing for J.K. Rowling in particular. Um, she had the celebrity status to resist the pylons, uh, but those were sadly not available to um, Kathleen Stock, who didn't have the celebrity resilience necessary to get through. 
um, and her being told to get the fuck out and not be such a massive transphobe was almost the same as censorship because cultural structures like pro-trans voices can operate in an authoritarian mode. A socially oh enforced demand for obedience to intellectual doctrine is aggressively and illiberally censorious. It's actually not a demand it's for really obedience. It's really not. It, it's just shut the fuck up. You, you just stop being a transphobe or sh just shut the fuck up. It's not like... That isn't... I, I don't think... I, this is a rare case no, where someone's actually explained what they're what they're trying, what they think is being censored. And it turns out what they think is being censored is being a cunt. Yeah. And yeah. like, j just just shut the fuck up, dude. It's easy. It's super easy. It's back to that, that whole thing we've got going where it's like, you know, who they are is separate from what they do, right? And we don't actually give a shit about who they are. We care about what they do. And so from our perspective, we just want them to shut the fuck up. They can be internally transphobic if they want, but just shut the fuck up and don't make it anyone's problem. From their perspective, we are against the very essence of their being. And, you know, we want to, like, we demand, like, groupthink and right thought and all that kind of shit from them, which is not the case. Um, but, yeah, it's just like their, their entire interpretation of the world hinges on this idea that they can just do whatever they want and that doesn't truly reflect who they are. So the idea of getting pushback for doing what they want is anathema to them and like an, an intolerable, like, you know, imposition on their rights to be a cunt. So like, Raising also, my hand here to just say, I was saying group thinking right thought. <laughs> <laughs> and also for me, like, what's so fucking painful about all this, apart from the entire discourse and him just being like cataleptically stupid and clearly only reading like fucking Hadley Freeman columns is like the the problem that a lot of people including the students who chased her out of the university had with Kathleen Stock was her incredibly shitty scholarship that you know we see now that you know when when people shoot up LGBT nightclubs in the US you know the shooters cite that and the extreme Christian right who just outright says no trans people just shouldn't live also cite that book and it also doesn't engage with the fact that like there have been many many critiques of that book by you know serious scholars who've said no what she's doing is incredibly shitty scholarship and doesn't you know this is not academic work this is just polemic bullshit so but that's can we, none of can that is taken just, into account can we also just add the fact that kathleen stock wasn't hounded out she resigned she quit. yeah she quit mm. willingly so that she could get on the fucking um, I've been cancelled by the woke mob fucking grift train to do the huge, all the fucking typical rounds that every one of these cunts does for being cancelled uh, on a on and therefore getting onto multiple national platforms, which is of course what censoriousness results in. Yeah. Anyway, so basically, because a lot of us have become uh, uh, stupid to due to being online and democracy fracking and being part of Twitter pylon mobs, etc, etc. Uh, a lot of us are um, no longer capable of nobly holding several points of view at the same time and like picking the best bits out of it. Um, that's very Raphael Bell really said the internet makes you stupid. But, <laughs> close <laughs> as it, yeah. Um, <laughs> Raphael low tax bear. But then he begins, like, yeah, uh, the, the next chapter, this is the last one we'll do before uh, we switch over to the Patreon, um, is, sp speaking of people being fucking stupid and a bad journalist, this is, like, the first, like, anecdote that opens this chapter. Um, he's talking about um, uh, the Iraq War and WMDs. 
A spy, I will call Mark, once explained to me how a war begins with with bureaucracy. So essentially what the spy called Mark um, says is, look, the dodgy dossier that hyped up the claims in the, you know, 45 minutes to get a missile into London from Iraq, uh, it wasn't dodgy, it wasn't manipulated, it was just layers of bureau- bureaucracy pleasing each other, like... The refugee wanting asylum in the UK is encouraged to tell a story about WNDs because that'll get him in the country quicker. The agent is encouraged to give that story to a supervisor because that'll get him a promotion quicker and so on and so forth until, you know, you're not lying. You're just incentivized to do certain things. Um, Hey, who put this structure around all of this racism? (laughs) Uh, So... (laughs) This is that fucking uh, uh, incredible... um, to this day, Tony Blair insists that he didn't lie about weapons of mass destruction. Not deliberately. He sincerely expected them to be found. My man, Mark, agrees. Mark works for the non-proliferation department of one of the UK's intelligence services. Now, why would a spy working for the UK's intelligence services talk to a journalist and say, look, this was all just an innocent mistake. Don't believe your lying eyes or, you know, the well-known stories about Alistair Campbell massaging the dossier. Don't look too much into the suicide of Dr. David Kelly. It's fine. Look, you know, it's just, this is how bureaucracies work. That's oopsie-doopsie. And sometimes you, in, you, you, know, you end up in a war and you kill like a couple hundred thousand civilians. It's, it's just because bureaucracy, basically. Uh... <laughs> That's just, you know, if the purpose I, of a system is what it does, maybe this this system in particular is designed to just kill brown people. Hmm, who's to say? So this this dynamic of like people layers of people trying to please each other leading to uh, bad outcomes, um, that's repeated in places. And then we get into a fucking another incredible citation. This dynamic of pleasing each other is repeated in most big organizations. It happens in business as much as in politics. A marketing department might find ways to promote petroleum-flavored crisps or wearable yogurt, but the customer who doesn't want to buy them is always right. A government that has convinced itself to do something that won't work should be set right during an election. Voters, given a free and fair chance to express themselves, can put a limit on ideological excesses. Can they now? Oh my god. See... You, you know, wanting to vote against rent increases is, you know, you don't have that option. And that's because that option is essentially like wearable yogurt. I don't even know what the fuck this is. Like, (laughs) it's like in the free marketplace of ideas, why don't you just vote for an alternative? It's like, there isn't one. They're all, they, in terms of the the basics. Let's not forget that this is a deliberate, deliberate political, like, outcome that, the political elite, <clears throat> excuse me, that the political elite and the media have worked hand in glove, tirelessly, to, yeah, tirelessly to create to make it so that there is no like un you know so that there is nowhere else for you to go as certain mem- people in the Labour Party might say. <laughs> so this is essentially uh, because you have this this real choice between wanting or not wanting to eat uh, petrol flavored crisps. Uh, which I guess is the same as not voting for the Labour Party or, or voting for Nick Clegg or something, I guess. Um, that's why democracy is better, because it allows voters to do away with ideologies that don't work. And that's why we don't have capitalism anymore. I mean, 
on the point of doing away with ideologies that don't work, this is like kind of in a like uh, an actual piece of data for Raphael Baer to consider. What happened to the Lib Dems between 2010 and 2015 and onwards? Where would they be now without pledging to keep student uh, student fees uh, at their current rate and they'll abo- or abolish them? Hmm, where might North, they end up? Yeah. Have ended up? <laughs> and also, I love it when my uh, democracy has pure and absolute free choices. Hey, let's ask uh, someone like Salvador Allende or Patrice Lumumba how that works out when you have really free choices, uh, when your choices are truly free in a free democracy. You know, um, that let's see how 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 did it go with them? I think very well. Uh, yeah. So essentially, that's the problem um, we have with with. So this is good, like getting a free choice for wearable yogurt is good. That's uh, liberal democracy. Um, The bad thing is people being ideologues. That's because ideology is someone whose theory collides with reality and then they demand reality step aside. It creates perverse incentives. That's when you make UKIP uh, guys wear yogurt on the street. (laughs) Wearable yogurt, yep. (laughs) <laughs> and also, you know, as pure aside, like even though that you know they weren't functionally truly on the ballot everywhere, UKIP has like dragged the whole national conversation in its own direction for the last decade or more. Yeah, like you know, all all the all this fucking shit is is basically proving the whole premise that you know Noam Chomsky um, wrote about, where it's essentially you know you, you constrain debate to a limited choice of options but allow there to be vigorous and loud debate within that range of acceptable options and that way people are given the illusion of choice and uh, that's is, is that is. some kind of choice that i can see out of out of my window of some variety man i just i don't know it's just very depressing where he's like look everything within these bounds is okay and you're allowed to have multiple opinions at once and try and like you know come to some kind of synthesis but if it's beyond these bounds then it's ideology and it's bad so fuck off just um so yeah i don't know who this book's for um, i don't know who this book's for people in the guardian column column section and presumably other columnists i that's i think that's uh, and people at the new statesman it's a very new statesman book this no it, it's um, for depraved human beings like us yeah. <laughs> and our entire ecosystem <laughs> they're, they're writing these now because they know we'll read them <laughs> there's a huge audience you might not have heard of them they're called left-wing podcasters and they can't get enough of this absolute dog shit yeah thank you for the review copy <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, ideology creates perverse incentives for people to double down on mistakes and rationalize rationalize irrational choices. One word for that is stupid. Basically, people who have ideology are stupid. Um, and in that's why in a dictatorship you have more ideology because more stupid, uh, because like it's demanded of you because you're not allowed to do facts and logic in a in a, in a dictatorship. So. The stupefying power of ideology doesn't even require everyone in the system to be passionate about it or to have even read the founding texts. You just need to know how to suck up, which that would never happen in our noble democracy, of course. Hey, what are all these spads doing in my safe seat? I don't understand this at all. I mean, it really isn't a surprise that this guy doesn't like the idea, like the concept of ideology when having an ideology does require you to have some degree of principle. Yeah, but principles are not cool because then you, if you have a principle, you can't like hold several ideas 
in your mind and then pick out the best bits of it, you know? Because then Oh, I've got I've got several ideas of what could happen to Rafi. <laughs> all right, just hold them all in your brain, rotate them a bit upside down, you know, and then see what the best bits are. So basically, uh, I'm skipping a whole bunch of pages again. It's a step. It's a small step from having ideology to becoming a troll online and becoming a troll because trolls online do discourse policing, which is what um, ideologists do instead of rationalists. Um, and that is something discourse policing is, of course, that's something that George Orwell warned us about. Thought crime oh my is fucking god. I really thought, hate how 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 this man is denigrated. Like men like him have denigrated the noble troll from such <laughs> humble beginnings. They've truly transcended all levels of expectation that any of us ever had for them. Um, thought crime is stupefaction to which the radical left is particularly vulnerable. In the twentieth century, this was applied to class. Today, it is more commonly used to police discourse on race and gender identity. These things are the same! Oh my god! <laughs> uh, it also, you know, that kind of trolling. Trolling, by the way, also creates the um, illiberal safe spaces language with, which got Kathleen Stoker and J.K. Rowling cancelled, apparently. That's, d d d don't ask any questions, don't worry about it, it's fine. Um, but like, you know... Once again, the right, this, the, the left is very bad. I think we can all agree on this now. Um, but it's not. Yes. It, the right yes. is just is is as bad, but maybe not as bad. Uh, that's because like anti woke politics is reds under the bed and cynical diversion. But there is also dogmatic politics that is influential in policing debates in liberal and left circles. So you know, like the right Truly. is bad, but but they have a point. Yeah, truly spoken like a Zentrum voter. <laughs> but yeah, the right wing is standing there going, listen, we should genocide everyone that we don't like, uh, particularly those who aren't white. But, 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 you have to admit that you guys also have common views as well. Like, you guys all believe in human rights together. What's up with that? Like, it's very... I've, I've never stopped getting depressed at how these liberal commentators are able to kind of look from one to the other and not spot the qualitative difference in, you know, like one side wants to murder people and the other side wants everyone to live like just decent lives regardless of skin colour, sexual orientation, gender, any of the rest of it. <sighs> Anyway, are we done, so, Rob? Is this, is this yeah, yeah, this is. Done I'll, yet? I'll read you one more quote, and then we're done with this, with the free part. And then, uh, for anybody who still like has the will to live, you can keep on listening to uh, the, the second part, which is on the Patreon. So, the right way to be left. You see, we did that's a little funny writing. This is why you go to public school. <laughs> <laughs> The right way to be left emerges organically and is enforced informally. The alt-left draws its energy from a young, educated middle class. This might explain why it prefers battles over race, gender, and identity as opposed to the proletarian emancipation of the 20th century. Oh, shut the fuck up and just apply for the fucking Communist Party of Britain, you prick. But what if these struggles were connected in some fashion? What if that? What if... What if issues of race and gender and so on were related to the proletarian struggle? What, what then? What, I don't what, think what that we say that. This is, this is the first I'm hearing of it. What if I...
<laughs> well, everyone all- knows you can't you can't be like woke and have an actual trade job. You can't be a woman and be an electrician. You can't be brown and like I don't know work in a factory. Like you know, you you're not allowed to be multiple things. So you know, you start your life as a worker, and then one day you decide, oh, I think I'm going to go woke, and like some immutable characteristic of yourself being changes, and from that point on, you don't work anymore and you get paid benefits. That's how it works. No, sorry, James. Like if you're a worker, you're not the young. Ed- educated middle class these things are very separate there's no there's no it doesn't work that way and you know if you'd gone to university you 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 would have gone yeah you too could end up being a barista working in uh, for like barely above minimum wage and unable to afford your rent like the elite middle class piece of shit that you are yeah yeah <laughs> like the elite shit poster you are mm. anyway uh right, so notes <laughs> that is and on that note i think we will end here our first you will get the intermission and us you know pointing to the big sign with the pound on it um this is part one of our part two review of Raphael's bear's truly atrocious book but may i encourage you to stay because in parts three and four um we've set up all the dominoes there is russia there is people being stupid there is ideology uh there's some other stuff in the economy but don't worry your pretty little head about it and now in parts three and four the whole edifice comes crumbling down and the worst event in the world happens brexit and then some other shit happens and it's all bad but don't worry about it in the in, at the end of the next part i will give you out of the review copy that I have, Raphael's Bears Solutions, how you too can stay engaged without getting enraged. So see you on the Patreon. Bye for now. Hate you. Bye-bye for now. Bye for now. Don't sob, I want to be free. Sob. <laughs> <laughs>